Is Christ the most precious possession for you? Do you count even your health as loss? Your house, your cars, your jobs as loss for Christ? I return to Philippians. We are making our way through Philippians chapter 3. I'll read maybe the first, let me just read the first uh, 11 verses so we get our heads around what we spoke about the last few sermons. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again. Is no trouble to me as a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has in mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. Then we come to our passage this morning. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. But last week we saw how the Apostle Paul, in silencing the false teachers and the false circumcision, he used his testimony before he was converted to show that if there was anybody that could be saved, that anybody that was going to be welcomed by God himself in the kingdom of God, by works, it would have been the Apostle Paul himself. And that if, if anyone will claim to be saved by anything but through Christ himself, is but almost a Christian, which is no Christian at all. One can work hard for their soul. He can do Bible studies just like Paul, being brought up in a religious home just like you are and have passion of some sort, some sort of zeal just like Paul as we saw last time and still be deceived and not be a Christian. We spoke much about false confidence and and false converts. But praise be the God that the Apostle Paul didn't leave his testimony there because that wouldn't have been that much encouraging, I guess, to the church. He didn't leave it there. He doesn't leave the church wondering if they've actually fallen into this error and he continues to explain himself. And we will cover this morning what happens to a Christian. In fact, we're going to cover the almost a Christian becomes a Christian. 
There is a change in a person when he comes to saving faith. I don't know how many of you were here last week, but once a month we give a testimony of how we came to saving faith. And one of our beloved member, brother who is dear to us, he spoke about his own life before Christ. And then he spoke about his own life after Christ. But I don't know if you heard his testimony, but he also mentioned that he was a false convert for 12 years. And in those 12 years, he literally believed he was a Christian. But yet then he mentioned as a false convert would, like a dog return back to its vomit. That's exactly what he did. You see, when we become Christians, when we come face to face with Jesus Christ, a change will take place. This is what we're going to see with the Apostle Paul when he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was going to persecute the church. There was a change in Paul. God did not save the Apostle Paul and found him in a pig trough eating pig food and then Paul continued to eat pig food. There was a change in the Apostle Paul. There is a change when we come face to face with the gospel. One may come face to face with the gospel truth and still remain the way they are in their sins because they love their sins because they enjoy their sins and they continue on the path of destruction. And they hear messages like this every week, week in, week out, and they walk out of here smiling with no change. Another may say, I accept Christ as my Lord, but they have no intention of changing or loving or serving or belonging to the body of Christ. Jesus for them is nothing but a ticket out of hell. And if that's the case, what change is there in that person? Another may come face to face with Jesus and say, Ralph, but I've come to know Christ. And and there are those who don't know how to love and how to outreach and how to serve. Sure, maybe five weeks, five months, you're still the same. You don't understand. Five years being a Saving Grace Bible Church, you're still in the same boat. I'm sure we're teaching how to love. I'm sure Wes has done a great job under God's eyes to do, I think, 12 to 13 sermons on what church life looks like in a changed person. As we looked at last time, along the same Lying here at the almost a Christian, plenty of people, they want to come to Jesus on their own terms, with their, with their own theology. They have no willing and no desire to let go of anything. They want to come to Jesus on their terms. And they want to bring, at best, they, they want to carry what they had. I played music here, so I'm going to carry it into Christianity. I I have this kind of job and I carry it in and say, what's wrong with that? If it stops you from worshipping God and beholding His glory, something is wrong. That's not what happens with Paul. I want to ask you, 
Does the lame stay lame when he meets Christ? Or does he walk? Does the mute stay mute when he meets Christ? Or does he talk? Does the blind see when he meets Christ? Or does he see? Well, if that's true in the miracles of Jesus, then how great a miracle it is when someone's born again. Does a dead sinner stay a dead sinner? Or does he come to life in Christ? What happens to one who is born again? Is he found in the same condition? Does he stay in the same condition? I mean, sure, the Apostle Paul, he stayed in some way, some sort of conditions. He was still circumcised. I don't think you can reverse that. He was still from the nation of Israel. He was still a Jew. But he didn't stay a Pharisee as he was looking not only at what he was doing on the external, Paul was changed on the internal. When Paul met Jesus and on the road to Damascus and he was knocked off his horse of pride, he did not remain the same. He did not continue to stay that Pharisee who believed in himself, trusted in himself and honored himself in his dealing. There's a change, brothers and sisters. There needs to be a change in a person's life when he is born again. A.W. Tozer said this. I love this quote. I couldn't help myself. It says, salvation must include a judicial charge of status. But what is overlooked by most teachers is that also includes an actual change in the life of the individual. And by this we mean more than a surface change. We mean a transformation as deep as the root of his human life. The Apostle Paul was a changed man. He was a new creation. You don't make a new convert only to act like a false convert. When the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ, what happened to him? He didn't have to go to seminary. He didn't have to do anything. He went and he proclaimed the gospel straight away, immediately. In fact, he went to proclaim the gospel back into the synagogues to the people who were actually his countrymen who were persecuting the church with him. He proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. A change took place in Paul. He became the hardest worker amongst the apostles. He was in prison often, and he wrote this whilst he was in chain at home under with a, a guard. He was beaten shipwrecked, in frequent dangers, always facing hardship, concern for the church. And as we've seen this before, Paul went from pride to humility. You cannot stay in the same position as we will see. So I've titled this sermon this morning, Truly a Christian, Truly a Christian. And three things we'll look at, the right assessment of a Christian, when he comes face to face with God, the right outcome of a Christian and the right pursuit of a Christian. 
So read with me verse 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things as loss. Why? In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Loss, loss, loss. Circumcision was a loss to Paul now. It meant absolutely nothing to Paul. His nationality didn't mean anything to him anymore. I know people that care more about their nationality than their Christianity. His being a Jew didn't mean anything to him anymore. He counted his being a Pharisee as loss, his zeal as loss, his keeping his own righteousness as loss. His status as loss. Why? It all became worthless to him. All of it. All became of no value to Paul. Whatever he thought was good to gain him entrance into the kingdom of God, Paul saw it as rubbish. Paul had a lot to lose. Right? What did he have to lose? His status. But his status didn't mean anything to Paul anymore. His position. He was one of the elites, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He didn't mean nothing to him anymore that he was a Pharisee. His honor, his respect, his self-righteousness, his own confidence, his own form of godliness, his own merits and his external deeds did not matter to Paul anymore. He counted them as lost. Why? Because Paul was now a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Paul began to assess he assessing himself and he sees everything has lost. Everything. We will look at it in more detail. Not just some things and not just for salvation. Everything he saw as lost. Why? Because he had false hope. He had false confidence. All of that he thought was gain was false security, false joy. He followed God falsely. He worshipped God only externally and he gave only externally out of religion. Christ was not his saviour. He was not his Lord. He was not his God. His zeal was wrong. And he said, I count all that as rubbish. Until God moves a man, that man will continue to chase after the wind to try and save himself. And until a man is changed or woman, they will continue to chase after the things of this world. You cannot save yourself. And if you do not have the right assessment, as to count everything as loss, 
And maybe you'll continue in your false conversion. You cannot, on your own, come from death to life. God causes people come from death to life. You cannot go from darkness to light because God will do that. He will cause you to be light. You cannot go on your own from unholy to holy. God will make you holy. You cannot go from pride to humility unless God knocks you off your pride, your horse. You cannot go from self-serving and self-seeking and self-sacrifice and self-salvation to Christ unless Christ saves you. You cannot go from following the prince of the power of the air to now looking at the king of glory who owns the prince of the power of the air. You cannot go from being in love with the kingdom of darkness to wait for the kingdom come. God will do that. This is Paul's assessment. He says, I count all things as loss. I forfeit it all. I relinquish it all. Anything I thought was good, I see it as rubbish. I count it all as loss. I renounce all of it. Every bit of it. I want to ask you this morning, What is stopping you from assessing your life this way? Paul spoke about before conversion last week. And this is Paul speaking about him at conversion. But he's making a contrast. Whatever I thought was good, I counted as loss. What is stopping you? What are you hanging on to that you will not let go and come to Christ. What is it? What is stopping you to come to Him? In fact, then I'm going to speak to you, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and you say you're born of Christ, you had an encounter with Christ, you met Christ with the gospel, then what is stopping you, brothers and sisters, from growing? In Christ's likeness. What's stopping you? Is it you're too busy to build your home and your mansions here on earth? You don't count them as loss. You see them as gain. Is it your children? I need to first build up my children until they are 28 and married and with children. And then I serve God. We just spoke to someone yesterday who has retired and now I can serve. This is a fact. Now I can start to serve in my local church. What happened to you other 60 years? What happened? Too busy with love of money. Too busy to grow businesses and the love of the world. Verse 7 says, I count it all loss for what? For what? 
for the sake of Christ. All of it is relinquished. All of it. Spurgeon said, since you have not had to suffer the loss of all things, do you hold all things at God's disposal? Are you ready to part with the comfort and honor for him? Since God has left your worldly comfort to you, have you used all things for his sake? No, the scripture does not say you cannot have things. But are you willing to say those things are lost to me for Christ's sake? Paul is revealing his newfound passion here. His desire, his zeal now is towards Christ. He's no longer tossed to and fro from religion and false pursuits. But faith and hope is in Christ now. Paul sees everything as loss. Whatever treasure he thought was treasured, he swapped it for a greater treasure, Jesus Christ. We don't trust the things we once trusted when we come to saving faith. We don't chase after the things we once chased after. No, we don't. As if we're Christian. Why? The soul has been made new. The heart is new. The paths are new. Your ears, they hear new sounds. Your eyes, they see new colors. And all you desire is Christ. And your tongue speaks heavenly things. You're new. You're a new creation. That's Paul's assessment of himself. Let me tell you something. If you are not willing to see everything as lost for the sake of Christ, there will be in you always a war and a fight. For Christ who has crowned he, you, he has given you his righteousness and he's crowned with glory in your heart and there is going to be a fight with whatever idol you have against Christ so that that evil that is inside of you now wants to be crowned as Christ. Deal with your idols. Deal with your fleshly desires and see them as what they really are. Lost. They are nothing in comparison to Christ. Run to him. Pray to him and say to him, Lord, give me Christ lest I die. That's what Paul wants. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul. That's Paul's assessment. Look to heaven. Look to Christ. When he met Christ, the Apostle Paul was a changed man. And that brings us to the second point, the outcome of our Christian. This is the assessment. You ought to assess yourself that way. Verse 8 and 9, we'll read again, more than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of surpass, sorry, in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul now reveals that his expression, his conversion, this is real. He, he went from, from, from a sinner to a saint, from being persecuted to, to, uh, from persecuting to being persecuted. And let me tell you something now that people that tell you when you become a Christian, you're a loser. No, you're not. You're a winner because you gain. You do not lose. You gain. You gain. Paul gained. Even in his suffering, he gained. He was being threatened. He gained. For Christ's sake, he saw everything as loss for my Savior, for my Lord, for my God. Everything is loss. Why? He says, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Knowing Jesus, knowing my Savior, Knowing the King eternal, the all-knowing God, the all-wise God, there is a surpassing value which speaks of a, a value that is beyond comprehension. There is no greater value in our lives than to know Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. Ah, oh, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. I, I don't, I'm not content to just know him. I want to know him more. My Jesus, Yahweh who saves Christ, the one who was sent to save. Lord, my Lord, my sovereign Lord. Oh, there is value in knowing that Jesus is my Lord. I submit everything unto him that he is my Lord. Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. Eternal life does not begin when you die and get to know Jesus. Your eternal life begins now. Eternal life does not begin at the resurrection of the dead. Eternal life begins at the resurrection of your heart. That's where eternal life begins. Christ to Paul became the pearl of great price. He was precious to Paul. He was the unfading gold of glory that no one could ever take away from him. Is Jesus like that to you this morning? Is he glorious like that to you this morning? Jonathan Edwards said these wonderful words. Listen to these. The soul is exceedingly ravished when it first looks on the beauty of Christ, it never is weary of him. You can never get enough of Christ, ever. The surpassing value is in the present 
active participle. What on earth does that mean? It is continuous. You can never get enough of the value of knowing Jesus Christ. Tuesday after Tuesday after Tuesday after Tuesday, we have heard about Christ. Have you had enough? No, we have not. Do you know this Christ this morning? Do you know him? Have you heard his voice speak to you? Have you come face to face with Christ through the gospel preaching? Or you're too busy on your phones to look at your Facebook? Or your Instagram? Or your whatever gram that you actually look at? You're here and you're ticking a box and you're walking out of here with a smile on your face and it's not for Christ. (laughs) I plead with you. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. There is great gain in knowing Jesus Christ. Are you willing to lose it all for Christ? Eternal life begins now and it continues now and it will be consummated when Christ raises us from the grave. This is what Paul is expressing. He loves, he loves to gain Christ. The Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. How can you know anything as a Christian if you don't gain knowledge of Him? How can you know what God wants from you? You're just going to be a hairy, fairy person who makes up a Jesus in his mind. If you do not gain Christ, his knowledge, the surpassing value of his knowledge, then you don't understand what he wants from you. Second Peter also in 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are meant to grow in the knowledge of Christ. From from the knowledge of Christ, we can fall in love with Christ. And then the apostle continues in Philippians in chapter um, 3, verse 8. He says, for whom I suffer the loss of all things. All things. I relinquish all things. This word speaks about I cast away everything. My old life is done away with. I'm done. I I don't hang on to it. It's no longer mine. I'm a new creation. Paul forfeited his honor, his privileges, his respect. He abandoned everything. He sacrificed his success, his pleasures. The things he once loved, he now hated. And cheerfully and willingly he did it. Why? That he may gain Christ. That he may gain Christ. In fact, it says, and he counted them as rubbish. I think the English translators were really nice not to put in their poo. 
because that's exactly what that word means. Garbage, filth, worthless. When you come face to face with Christ, there is a grade exchange. The worthy Christ comes and everything else is nothing but filth and rubbish in comparison to him. He says, so that I may gain Christ. I want to know him, his blessings, his power. I gain his wisdom. I will gain his resurrection. To gain Christ means that you're going to gain peace, the peace of God, the love of God, the, the love that God had with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is now yours. But gaining Christ is not just gaining knowledge from a book. It is gaining a person. Jesus is not an imaginary person. He is a person who lives inside of us. Imagine marrying your wife or your husband. I use both. And on that altar you say to them, I do and I do only so that you can take home the paper. And you take home the paper and you leave your spouse behind. Some of you are thinking, it's probably better for me because the paper can't argue back, right? But you don't take home the paper. The paper was only to reveal to you the consummation, right? It's only to reveal to you that you're now gaining a wife. You're gaining a spouse. You're gaining a husband. You're gaining a wife. When we speak about gaining Christ, it is to get to know the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the, the Lord himself in chapter 17 of John, when he, in his priestly prayer he was praying for the church, he said, this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that is to know him in a personal, relational way. And like Paul, for those who are born of God, we ought to no longer chase after success, after idols, earthly plans. No. Paul saw Jesus as everything. And everything that Paul had here, Jesus outweighed all of it, outweighed all of it. Christ becomes more excellent than work to a Christian. Christ becomes more desirable than a status in a Christian. And we ought to yearn nothing more in our lives as Christian to have Christ, to gain him. And then Paul continues and says, in verse 9, that I may be found in him, that I may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is in Christ, in him. These two verses, I think Brother Wes has explained it before in Tuesday nights, they are wonderful little verses that are only applicable to the church of Christ, in him. In Christ Jesus, 
in Him, I want to be found in Him, speaks of that union with Christ. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It speaks of unity. It speaks of that unity between the body of Christ and Christ. Romans 6.11 says, Even so, I consider yourselves to be dead. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God, to God, in Christ Jesus. That's in Christ. And there are many other verses like Romans 8 where it says, Therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ. Once a believer is saved, he is no longer by himself. He's placed in Christ. In fact, Romans 12.5 says, For we are many, but yet one body in Christ. So there is a union not only with you and Jesus, there is a union with you and the body of Christ. Paul then continues that I may be found in him not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law. I have sought high and low. I've been everywhere. This is what Paul is saying. My own righteousness, if anyone was going to be saved, it was going to be me. But I came forth with empty hands. I don't have my own righteousness. No matter how Paul thought of himself, no matter how much you think you may be okay in the face of God, your standards, your standards will never meet God's standards. God is perfect, holy, and just. And Paul's good works, his own righteousness, would have been like filthy rags to God. And if Paul's own righteousness was selfishness and, and, and was filthy rags to God, then how much more would ours be if he was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived? And Paul is saying, I don't want to be found by Christ to have my own righteousness as if I can boast in anything, but to be found in him having the righteousness not from me, but what? but through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We can only stand right before God because Christ Jesus is the sole subject of our faith. We are only justified because of Christ. We can only have the righteousness of God given to us because of Christ. He's righteous. No longer God looks down on the believer and he sees the believer who is unclean. But he sees in the believer the righteousness of God. No longer the believer stands in that courtroom as a guilty person before a judge, but he stands right with God as an innocent son before a father. No longer that sinner who comes before God, he's naked and bare with his own sins. He's clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know the scripture tells us in Hebrews 4 that there is no creature hidden from his sight, 
and all things are open and lay bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All sinners lay bare before God. And until the righteousness of God has clothed you, you will still lay bare before God. He will still be guilty before God. And Paul is saying here, I have been clothed with this righteousness, not of my own. It wasn't what I did. It was what Christ did for by faith I believed. When Paul met Christ, he believed and he was clothed with righteousness. Those of you who are not clothed with his righteousness, how do you get clothed with his righteousness? Trust his finished work. Believe what he has done. Believe that he promises that all those who come to me, I will give them rest. And so that's Paul's assessment, Paul's outcome, and they will come to Paul's, the right pursuit of a Christian. The right pursuit. So, so here's Paul now explaining in verse 10 and 11 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and be conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There are many countless pursuits that man can have in life that he can chase after. Power, recognition, money, leaving a mark behind, working for the children, buying new toys, starting a business, keeping a business, going on holidays. You fill in the blanks. But Paul makes a statement. And he says that I may know him. I want to know him. My aim in life, everything in life, my dreams, my pride is gone. I want to know him. I want to know him. You said, but didn't he say he already knows him? No, no, no. But this is talking about knowing him more personally. And by the way, this speaks of about a person who has come to faith and he's living his life behind. It speaks of a self-denying life, if that's even a word. To deny your life, to pick up your cross and to follow Christ. He says, Paul, I want to know him, Paul says. He's not just satisfied with Jesus when he was saved. I want to know him to the fullest. I don't want to know just Jesus a little bit. I want to know him more intimately, more devotionally, more effectually. I want to grow in his love. I want to feel his joy. I want to feel Christ in my life. Proclaim him. I want to know him more, more experientially. There is one thing that we will know something and not experience. There's one thing to know the Niagara Falls and, and, and experience the beauty of it. Paul wants to experience Christ. 
And as he draws closer to Christ and Christ purifies him, he experiences more and more that glory, more and more the affections of Jesus, more and more his love in his own life. You know, when you got married to your spouse, you got married to get to know them. If you have a friend, you you want to get to know them, right? Your children, you want to get to know them. Paul is saying that I might know him. I want to grow in knowing him. I dare say if we are content where we are and satisfied in knowing Jesus, perhaps we're not satisfied at all. We should be always discontent because we ought to be wanting more and more and more of Christ. We ought to say, I'm not satisfied to know him a little bit. I'm not satisfied just to come to church on Sunday, just to do a Bible study on Friday. I'm not satisfied with that. I want Christ. And Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who seeks for fine pearls, and upon finding that one pearl of great value, he went and sold it all, and he bought it. That ought to be your chase after Christ, for this great gain in Christ. There is wisdom in Christ. Heavenly rewards for you in Christ. In Him there is love as a husband and wife love. In Him, Him and Him in Christ. And Paul then continues and he adds to this, that I might be found in him, forgive me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the power of God's resurrection. Let me quickly say this to you. If you do not know the power of Christ's resurrection, you're still dead in your sin. If you don't believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave, then what power can this do to you? What what can this do to you? He's saying, and the power, I want to know the power of his resurrection, which means Christ's power and resurrection gave Paul hope. He gave him strength whilst he was weak. It gave him joy that there was a a resurrection in his suffering. It gave him a way out for temptation. And that same power that rose Christ from the dead, that same power is available for all the Christians here this morning. That you may live a holy life when you are invited to go to a work function and everybody's being drunk. You have the power of God with you. But when your family member comes over and they mock you and scorn you and say all sorts of things against you for Christ's sake, you have the power of God, the power of Christ, His resurrection. Paul wants to know Christ in every way, shape, or form. Strength, this power gives us encouragement, Remember, Paul is trying to encourage the church, right? This is, his, this is his testimony. Paul saw this very, very necessary to pen in Scripture. 
So we ought to pay attention to it because it gives us strength. And Paul knew that at best, if he was going to die in prison, death was the next best thing for him because he was going to be resurrected. And then he continues. Here's something that we want to look at. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death. There's a slogan for you. Or there's a book title for you. You know, you got the fellowship of the ring. You know, the Lord of the Rings. This is the fellowship of his suffering. Paul wants to experience the fellowship. He, he, in other words, he wants to experience what Christ experienced. And the more Paul grew in his knowledge of Christ, the, the, the word therefore conformed means morphed. That means he was changed. He was transformed into Christ, into his death. How? Because the more you live a selfless life in his selfish world, you are going to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. It's very simple. The more you draw closer to Christ, persecution, mocking, abandonment, and all these things are going to be part of your life. And Paul says, I want to have this. Fellowship means I want to be in unity together with Christ in His suffering. I don't just want Christ. I want, to, I want to feel his suffering. And Jesus says, remember that the world, a slave is no greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And Second Timothy says, indeed, all those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul's pursuit in life was to know Christ in every way, to honor him as Lord, as Savior, the one who had mercy on him, to know Christ's suffering to Paul was an act of worship. Yes, Paul wanted to share that Christ to the believers of Philippians. He was Lord. He emptied himself. He, he, he took a form of a bond servant to the point of death, that's great. But that's not enough for Paul. Paul says, I need to pursue this. I need to chase after this. It wasn't enough that one day Paul says, I'm going to reign with Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not enough. But I want to suffer with him. And if I die, I die wasn't enough for Paul. He wanted to be like Christ. Yes, he's looking forward for the crown of glory one day that he would receive from the Lord. But now, whilst he's on earth, he's pursuing the crown of thorns like his master. Yes, one day he was going to sail away into the eternal glory and his corruption will be done away with and he will be clothed with robes of purity. But whilst he was on earth, he was ready to clothe himself with the clothes of persecution and death. He was looking forward for the riches of Christ that he would receive one day. But in this life, 
his riches and his gain was to make Jesus Christ known. What Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, that his pursuing in his life was to suffer, if need be, die for Jesus Christ, and he wanted to be just like his master. This is a converted person. He wanted to know Christ to the heights of heights. And then he ends with verse 11, in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So that one day I will be with him. This is not saying that maybe I will, maybe I won't. We know that Paul wrote more about the resurrection of Christ than anyone else. But he's saying this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to receive the resurrection from the dead. One day Paul will have a resurrected body. He hasn't received it yet, but he will. This is what this verse is saying. He will receive that one day and then reign with Christ for a thousand years. Paul's pursuit in life is to make Christ known. He had the right assessment, the right outcome, and the right things to chase after. So how do you apply this in your life, brothers and sisters? And those of you who have not come to this part of a testimony and you're still stuck on the first part of the testimony, either being a false convert or not a convert at all, how do you assess your life? If you're a believer, I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, how's the outcome of your conversion in your life? Is Christ the most precious possession for you? Do you count even your health as loss? Your house, your cars, your jobs as loss for Christ? Paul didn't let go of some things. He let go of everything. What are you pursuing in your life this morning? Is it status, position, jobs, health? What is it? How much do you and I need this to desire to know Christ, to know him more intimately, more personally? And as we do, we will share with Paul and say, I want to share in his suffering. I want to share in his death and count everything but loss because Christ is worth more than all. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, for your word is, is truth. And only your word can change us and show us are we counting, Lord God, things, Lord God, in our lives as gain? Where well, we ought to count them as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. Is he worth not more than all? 
Is he not worth more than the suits that we wear on Sunday morning? Is he not worth more than our jobs and more than our homes? Is he not worth more than our own lives? Is he not worth more and more and more? Oh, Lord, we need you that we may share, Lord God, with the Apostle Paul in the sufferings of Christ. And if we die for Christ, we won't be demoted. We will be promoted. So please help, help the unbelievers, Lord God, who have heard the message to come to save in faith, to say, I have no righteousness of my own, but that of Christ, that they will believe in Christ, have faith in what he has done, that you would impute to them your righteousness, that they will stand right before you and have peace with God. Thank you, Father, for the privilege. May you bless your word with power. Amen.